Okay, now, this morning we are finishing our Christmas series. Okay, and uh, this is part one of the four-part sermon that you've already had part two for. All right, now the whole thing, which is kind of funny in all this, was this sermon was actually scheduled and prepared to go the week before Christmas. All right, and of course we've had a couple of interesting weekends that uh, prevented us from getting together. And uh, so I wrestled a little bit, just a little bit, as to whether or not uh, I should just go on with my next series or give you this part as well. And then I, I thought about the fact that this is the story of Simeon, which actually took day, place eight days after the birth of Christ. Right? And you say, well, it's been more than eight days since Christmas Day. Uh, but the Orthodox calendar just celebrated Christmas this past week. And that was either the 6th or the 7th. So we are still in that wiggle room uh, of uh, what is allowable. So uh, we're getting the story of Simeon today anyway. Not just because it fits that scene. Most people actually, they don't talk about Simeon in the Christmas story. Because it took place after <laughs> It was after, you know, all the decorations were taken down and everything was at 50% off in the store. So uh, they don't talk about Simeon very often. But this is really a section of scripture we ought to pay attention to. It is beautiful and we shouldn't miss it. So today we're in Luke chapter uh, 2. Did I say 2? I hope so. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, traveling all the way down to verse number 32. So Luke 2.25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law... Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, this is not about a manger scene, obviously. It's not a picture of even Bethlehem, for that matter. It takes place in Jerusalem. Earlier in the passage, in verse number 21, it starts the the context of this story. When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the day for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now this is Mary and Joseph going up to the temple in Jerusalem, six miles away or so. Eight days after the birth of Christ, to fulfill the law, and the law required at that point circumcision for the male, and also a significant time at that. 
for generally, that was the day the child would be named, publicly named, there at the ceremony of the circumcision. Now, Mary and Joseph already knew his name. They were told what his name was. We, we saw that often, didn't we? In the message to Joseph and the message to Mary, uh, you shall name him Jesus. They already knew that name. But the rest of the world didn't know him by that name. They didn't know his name and it had never been publicly declared. It was told to these two and what they should name him. So on that day, according to the law, Mary and Joseph come into the temple with the baby Jesus. They were ready to have his name publicly declared and the circumcision to take place. Now, when you enter into the temple, if you can picture this, there were several locations within the temple that were allowable for some and permitted for others. You would come into a court called the Court of the Gentiles, where anybody could go into that court. Then there was a Court of the Women, that only the, the, the women could only go that far. And then there was a gate there where they were not allowed to pass through that gate. And that led into the court for the men. And the men, that led them up to the court where the priest would be serving. The outer court of the actual temple itself where sacrifices would take place. And into that, you picture Mary and Joseph coming into the temple. And, and a large structure it was. And they go into the ladies section, the court of the women. And that's as far as Mary can go. But she's carrying with her Jesus. And also, they had the sacrifices with them. They were required to bring for purification purposes, and especially for the redemption of a firstborn son. Now, I try to visualize it and what it must have been like. And in most cases, it probably was like any other ordinary day around the temple vicinity. People did this every day. Babies were born, and eight days later, children were being brought in. The male children were being brought in for the circumcision. So, an everyday occurrence as far as anyone is concerned. Mary would come up as far as that gate. She'd have to stop there. I don't know exactly how this worked, but I'm going to assume that she said, Okay, Joseph, take my offering in to the priest. And she would have to stand at the gate and watch as Joseph would carry that offering up to the priest in order to, to have it sacrificed. Now, as soon as that was all complete, he would come back to her again, and it was time for the circumcision. And, and according to what I can glean here, it must have been in the vicinity of the court of the women, because there were always women involved, and they were right there nearby as it was taking place. So uh, I kind of picture one of the sides or corners of the court of the women set aside for that purpose. Now, if you were in the Old Testament, way back in the Old Testament, uh, that was a responsibility of a father. You might remember the story of Moses. He got in trouble for that once. He didn't do that, and the Lord was going to strike him dead, and his wife Zipporah had to do it, and it led to a very bad conversation. But most of the time, we see that the father would take care of that, that uh, and the naming of the child and such like that. But it's interesting, by the time you reach this place in Scripture, you start to see the people coming to the temple to have it done. Just earlier in this same book, in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's uh, parents brought John to the temple. 
for the day of circumcision, and of course for the day to have him named. Zacharias couldn't talk. So all the ladies around the table, they were coming up with names for him, and they were going to name him after his father, and then Zacharias wrote on the sheet, no, his name is John. And then the Lord opened up his mouth so he can speak. So in light of this, it, was, it had become perhaps just the thing to do in the day of circumcision to bring your child there to the temple. And probably there was somebody there who was a specialist at it. And that's all they did all day long was that task. And of course, probably for a couple of dollars, right? But uh, that, that uh, was typical in that day. So you try to put the, the story together as far as Christmas is concerned and how does all the events take place. Here's my guess so far. I'm, I'm one who believes that uh, the wise men showed up earlier than what most people want to think. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly what day that would be. But I do know this much. If Herod had already set a decree to have the uh, children killed, I don't think it would have been safe to go into the temple that day. The uh, Romans watched that temple. Matter of fact, they had a tower on the back side of the temple that they could see over the walls to see if outbreaks or riots break out in the temple. They were constantly monitoring it. So I'm going to guess that at least Herod hadn't set up the terrible decree to have all the newborns killed. Because that would have been a bad time to bring your child to be circumcised. Uh, a male child when they were killing them. So, that's just a hunch for me anyway. Uh, Mary and Joseph had a lot of information about this child already, right? They were told by the angel. All kinds of information. They, they were told by the shepherds. All kinds of information about who Jesus was. Now, here they are entering into the place where they need to declare his name. Let's put yourself in their sandals for a few minutes and ask this question. How much do we say? How much do we say at this point? Mary, what could she have said? Priest said, whoever's doing this circumcision, uh, what's his name? And what could she easily say? He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom would have no end. Could she say all that? She could, because it was told to her by the angel, right? In reference to this child. She could have declared that. Now, probably the Romans would not have liked that too much that day. Probably Herod would not have liked to hear that since he was a very jealous king, and to hear that this one is going to receive the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Jacob, and that would be, that would be fighting words to Herod. She could have said all that, though. Legitimately said all that. What could Joseph have said? Joseph, what's his name? Well, you shall call his name Jesus, I was told, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Good news! Except the priest probably wouldn't like it that day. You see, all the way through the life of Christ, weren't they antagonistic toward him? They didn't like competition. 
They didn't like somebody else stepping in there as a spiritual leader at all. And here's one that would save their people from their sins. Well, that's priest department. Alright? This one. A virgin shall be with child and bear a son shall call his name Emmanuel. How would those words have, have been taken that day if that was declared when they came to heaven? Name. Don't know. What if they had said, hey, let's tell you what the shepherd said about him. I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people. For today in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Lord? Who's that? Christ is Messiah. The Lord is God. Now that was another point that the religious folks argued about with Christ all the way through. They heard so often how they even hated the fact that he equated himself with God, right? Could you imagine this child being held? This is Christ the Lord. Wow. Wouldn't that have caused conversation right there in the temple area? Incredible responses, perhaps, to such a thing like this. Now, they could have said any of that. They could have said all of that. They could have declared the message that they had been told about this Christ. What if Mary thought, well, maybe I'll just tell you what Elizabeth and I had talked about. And she could recite back, it's actually in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Where Elizabeth cries out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, the sound of your greeting reached my ear. My baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary could have just started in and said, My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. For behold, this, from this time and on, generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has great, done great things for me, and holy is his name. She could have gone on and on with this praise, couldn't she? Right there in the temple ground, declaring who he is and how great he is and why he's come. Wouldn't that have been an exciting moment? If they had shared all that they knew about this child. Now, I put it more in a picture where we might understand and appreciate, perhaps. They walk up there and the ceremony is about to take place. And that one who's going to do that looks right up at them and says, What is his name? And you know what? I almost picture this. We'll find out when we see the video someday. But I picture Mary looking at Joseph and Joseph looking at Mary. Wondering, all right, what do we do now? What do we say? Do we say this? Don't we say this? You ever been in that moment where you're just not sure what the next words ought to be? And I just kind of picture that. Maybe it's just my imagination. But is this the time to reveal the identity of this child? Is this the time to share all the information we have heard? Or do we? Do we hold back? Do we not say it at this time? How can you be sure what to say at this time? Do you tell about the angels who visited you? Now that would go over very well, wouldn't it? People start to say, oh, these people are different. He says he saw an angel. She says she saw an angel. 
do you talk about the shepherds coming to see you? And what the angels said to the shepherds, and do you share that with them? Most people thought shepherds were kind of crazy anyway. Do you put them in the story all of a sudden? What about the virgin birth? No doubt, the priest might turn to Joseph and say, Are you the father? Uh, how do you explain this one? How do you walk through it with somebody? Uh, remember, Joseph had been trying to protect Mary. Before we read of that, he didn't want public exposure. He didn't want the potential of her being put to death. And I somewhat sense a tense moment all of a sudden. What do you say? What don't you say? Maybe it's, like I said, my imagination. Maybe Mary looked at Joseph and said, "Ah, you know what that look, there's a certain look there that says something like this. Let's not draw attention to this. Let's get it done. I don't know. All of that is pure speculation on my part. God had a plan, though. And it's wonderful what just takes place here in this Luke passage. In walks Simeon. In walks Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we know very little about Simeon outside of this passage. Very little. Uh, As to his family, we don't know anything. As to his employment, we don't know anything. As to things like that, we're left without answers. Some people say he was quite old because he would waited a long time for this moment. Now, the Bible really doesn't give his age either, for that matter. It does give the age of Anna in the same passage, and in contrast to, to Simeon, we don't know his age. I know our flannel graph always makes him old, but uh, we don't know for sure that he actually was old. Uh, we're not told of his family, what tribe he's from, but we are told that he's righteous, correct? He's righteous. It says so right there in verse number 25. He was a man, this man was righteous. Now, I like that word. It speaks of being just. Not just in actions, but also in character. He was a righteous man. Now, just to make a, a simple remark here. We talked several months ago about the kind of tools that God likes to use. Remember our study with the toolbox and the whole thing? If you forget, I'll have to start all over again. But the the toolbox study, we talked about the tools that God uses. Now, he can pull out the weakest tool and use that, right? He can pull out the uh, uh, least known tool and accomplish his purpose. But how often do we notice that God likes to choose the righteous tool? Regardless of whether or not we knew them or not, he knew them. And righteous individuals are the ones we see God using, like Noah, finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham, being a righteous man. Job, being a righteous man. Joseph, being a righteous man. Mary, what do we know of Mary? She found favor in God's sight, didn't she? Simeon was a righteous man. 
these righteous individuals keep popping up on the page in front of us. And I, I think uh, it's good for us to see that and ask a simple question. Are we righteous? Are we among those that God labels as righteous people? No, we're not talking about age, are we? We're not talking about skills. We're not talking about wisdom. We're not talking about strength. We're talking about a righteous person. Are we? Do we have that relationship with the Lord? In Second Timothy 2, this is what the Lord said in 19 and also in verse 21. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. That's what I want to be. How about you? Prepared for every good work. Prepared for the Master's use. That was Simeon. We know nothing else about his life except the Lord had prepared him for this moment and the moment came and he's ready. He's a righteous man. I I just love that characteristic about him. I like reading about him. But it also says, not only was he righteous, but he was devout. Now I thought that was kind of an interesting term to pop up on the page. The word devout. I looked it up and and it had the idea of one who is careful in their reverence. Careful in their reverence. Uh, In other words, I'll put it in somewhat of a modern vernacular here. He wasn't some sort of a uh, a religious nut. You know, the kind of person, and you've heard of them before, they just start spouting off things. and they're, They're very careless in their words, and they don't consider the environment. They don't think of other people. They just start spouting off things. Uh, There are people like that. I remember when I lived in Chicago, going down um, downtown one day while I was a student at Moody there, uh, there was a young man, and, and he couldn't have been more than 17 years old, I'm sure of it, dressed completely in black. I mean, he just looked like uh, he was ready for a coffin, okay? Just everything about him was just perfect and stiff as can be. And he's standing there with a, with a uh, speaker and an amplifier and a microphone. He's got his big old black Bible in his hand, and he's yelling through that microphone at every single woman who walks by because they had makeup on. And I'm thinking, wow, talk about somebody you don't want to be around. That kind of a character, very careless in his words and hurtful. And what an image he was portraying to the whole city that day as people saw him thinking, oh, that's a religious nut. Who'd want to be a part of that? And I remember seeing that picture. And, and this, this word here, being devout, speaks of uh, Simeon being careful in his reverence. Uh, he's not a spontaneous man who bursts into a room spouting spiritual words. Um, I think it's very interesting that uh, Scripture makes this point. Him being devout in this regard. Simeon is about to do something. Come in with with a sense of circumspect. Come in with great care. He's not given to the unusual. Alright? But he's going to do something so unusual 
that everyone's going to have to step back and give some credibility to what he's done, because this is not the way we've seen Simeon all these other years. I don't know if I'm expressing this right, but if you've learned to trust somebody because they are careful, and all of a sudden they do something that's so out of ordinary, you tend to trust them still, even in that, don't you? Because you're used to their character. They knew him as a devout man. And for him to make what proclamation he's about to make would make everyone stop and say, ooh, listen to what he's about to say. This is different. It's coming from Simeon. His character walked before him. And this man in Jerusalem was named Simeon, a righteous and devout man looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Two more characteristics before we go on to what he did. But uh, he was looking for the consolation of Israel, it says. That's a present tense participle, which means it's like an adjective. Uh, in this case, it was a habitual description of this man. He was looking patiently for the day that the Lord would draw close to the people, and the people would draw close to the Lord. That's his heart's desire. He wanted to see Israel and the Lord brought together, the consolation of Israel. And he looked for it, and he prayed for it, and he pleaded for it. You can see it, that that's what he wanted more than anything. The Lord to draw near, and the people to draw near, and they be together. Wouldn't you like that for America? Wouldn't that be a beautiful place to live? The Lord should draw near to us, and we should draw near to Him. This is what Simeon prayed for, for his people. Continually, the passage tells us. That was his constant prayer for them. And it adds that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, that's a very special special designation in the Old Testament. And this is still Old Testament economy here. Um, the Holy Spirit would be upon a person when usually something was going to happen, the Lord was going to do. We read that the Holy Spirit was upon them. And then incredible things happen. And this is Simeon. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, look at verse number 26. While we're in this passage, verse number 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, where's your focus right now on that verse? You start scanning through it and say, oh, that death thing. He would not see death until he sees the Lord Christ. That usually gets our attention first. It is very significant. It is very special in this regard. But before we go into the depth of what that might be, let's look again at the verse and see the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him, right? I like to look at the Holy Spirit's activity here in this passage. The Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25. The Holy Spirit informed him about something that's special that God was going to do, verse 26. Verse 27, the Holy Spirit was leading him. He came by the Spirit into the temple, right? This is a fascinating little part of the whole story that we could easily lose out on. There's a lot of wisdom in this man because he just simply walked with the Spirit. He followed the Spirit's direction. There's also wisdom in this phrase. You can't steer a parked car. Right? How many people just wait and wait and wait for things to happen when all the while you just ought to walk with the Spirit? We're told to do that. 
We read in Scripture that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things just don't happen, do they? You wake up in the morning and you've just got them all? I don't think so. What's that? Those are characteristics that the Spirit has been working into your life, right? They're His fruit. He's been active in your life. And people who submit to Him show these characteristics. Well, what do we now know of Simeon? He's a man who's been walking with the Spirit. He, he's manifesting the things of the Spirit. He's being taught by the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit. He's obeying what he hears. He understands it and he believes it. I like this man. He just walks by the Spirit. Now, Simeon's about to do something highly unusual for this man. But he is in the habit of walking according to the Spirit's direction. We know nothing else about him. But we know that the Lord had prepared him for this special moment. And his testimony was necessary at this very occasion. That's what it comes down to. His testimony was important. So we move on down to a couple more verses. We see in, in verse 27, And it came about, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, that he took him into his arms and blessed God, and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Now, again, my imagination steps in a bit. Picture this as a very public event. They're in the court of the women, probably. There are people all around, not just interested in what Mary and Joseph might have been doing, but just people everywhere circulating in that part. Mary and Joseph are just following the law. Perhaps they were approaching that table where Jesus would be circumcised. Perhaps they were just about to state his name publicly. Now, I've done an awful lot of public uh, ceremonies of one kind or another. There's a certain manner in which you're supposed to do those things uh, with decorum, with, with some sort of a professionalism, of course, uh, being very careful uh, to to match an expectation. I guess you, if you've ever been in those situations, you can understand. Like this past summer, we had that wonderful wedding of Nick and Savannah's. And here I'm performing a ceremony with this flame coming off the table behind me. We have the, the table back here with, full of candles, and of course you put the whole bridal party right here. And the pastor stands back here. And there's inches. I know there's inches. And the whole thing I'm saying is, Lord, don't make me go up in flames. I could feel the heat on the back of my coat. But I thought, you know, that'd really mess up this program. I mean, outside of the fact it probably wasn't very nice to go through that anyway, but I'm thinking the whole time, I don't want to mess up the program. Somebody's going to videotape this, you know, and everything else. There's a decorum about certain events, right? We know how that works. Mary and Joseph are going through this, and there's some sort of a decorum, I'm sure. The proper way to approach and hand the child and the words that are exchanged and all that rest. And then all of a sudden this man walks in and takes the baby. Now, ladies, firstborn child, eight days old, perfect stranger walks up and takes your baby. Comfortable with that? Probably not. 
this is just an interesting thing to try to visualize, visualize. But this is what Simeon was told to do. Now, he's a cautious man. He's a devout man. Now, obviously, the Spirit had put it in his heart. It's time to make the public declaration. And what's interesting in all this, he starts to talk. Everyone should hear him. And he starts to talk about this child. In his first words, he says in verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Nobody else knew what that was, but Simeon and the Lord, obviously. But in that statement, he knew exactly who this child was. Because he was told by the Lord that he wasn't going to see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, right? So he knew who this child was. He knew this was the Messiah, who was the one who was anointed by the Lord to come and rescue his people. He knew that. Simeon wanted the Lord to draw Israel to himself. He wanted Israel to draw near to the Lord. And this is the one who would do it. That's what he had been praying for. And now he gets to see the answer. Now, to Simeon personally, this meant peace all of a sudden. Peace? He says, now I could depart in peace. You see, this baby brings me that peace. What he represents is a peace. Remember, Mary on her birth certificate could easily have written, Jesus is king. Because that's what she was told. Joseph could have written on the birth certificate that Jesus is savior. That's what he was told. The shepherds could have written, He is Lord, because that's what they were told. Simeon, if he had the chance, he would have written, He's my peace. He's my peace. As far as Simeon was concerned, Jesus meant he could now die in peace. As far as Simeon was concerned, he now could die in peace. Do you hear it? He now could die in peace because he had seen this child. Think that through for a minute. Could die in peace because you've seen him. There's people who struggle about peace, especially as they reach those last days. Peace. Peace in death. I could die in peace because I've seen him. Two years ago, my wife passed away. Most of you knew her well. I've never seen a picture of peace like that before in all my life, to tell the truth. She was at perfect peace with that. It was a blessing to me to see it. This is Simeon. Peace. He could look at death with peace. He could even go through it with peace. See, the whole point is true for us, just as it was in his day, I would say. We say that death is inevitable. Of course, we hold out for the rapture, don't we? But peace in death is possible. You hear it? It's possible because of this child, because of Jesus Christ. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, 
do I give to you? Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let it be afraid. Peter, in his sermons in the book of Acts, chapter 10, for example, verse 36, said these words, The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That was central to their message. That Jesus brings peace. Peace with God, a peace that we must have. The peace that we should have. Especially as we draw near to the end of our lives. Do you have peace? If you faced death and looked it right in the eyes today, would you have peace? Simeon stands there, now I could depart in peace. For I've seen him. I've seen him. This is a message Simeon starts to state concerning Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. He's stating that in front of everybody. And I could almost see him adding that. Here is my peace. The peace this world needs. The peace that the Jews need. The peace that the Gentiles need. Here is our salvation. Prepared in the presence of all people. Now, this is what I like especially of that phrase. The birth of Jesus Christ was never meant to be kept a secret. I don't know. I I portray Mary and Joseph and I could be absolutely wrong. But I almost portray them as ones who were not sure exactly what should they say and what shouldn't they say at this moment. Should we keep this hush or not? God never intended it for it to be hushed. Why did he call in shepherds? Why did he proclaim it on the, the hillside? Why did he bring it before the wise men who took it into the palace? Because God wanted that message to be declared. And what's interesting in all this is, I could almost sense this. He said, Mary, Joseph, it's not all dependent on you. Watch what I'm going to do. And he brings him to me. Isn't that precious just to see that? The Lord took care of whatever concerns might be on their heart. But in the same act, he presented Jesus Christ through the eyes of somebody else. He brought in the shepherds the day he was born. News spread everywhere because of what they spoke. Brought in Simeon on that day. Jesus right in the middle of the temple. And here he is declared to be our salvation and the one who brings peace to one's life. Then he brings in the wise men, and the news carries all the way to the courtroom. So we go from a town, we go from a temple, we go in front of a king. It's a message of Jesus Christ. His salvation deals with man's sin, and the results are peace with God. Right? That's to be declared. That's not meant to be hushed. But it's to be declared to the common people. It's to be declared to the religious people. It's to be declared to the political people and the leading people. God didn't mean for this salvation to be kept a secret. You know, our society is getting bolder every day, isn't it? You've noticed it. It happens every year at this time, but you've noticed how... There's always fights over manger scenes, and should that be on the you know court heart, the the courtyard outside the the Capitol buildings and all? There's always that fuss going on and such. But Christians cower 
more times than not, we hesitate. We tell her, uh, we don't want the message of Christ to go away, but we're somewhat reluctant to say something at times. We step back. We, we get a little quiet. And, and yet, wouldn't it be refreshing to see a Simeon step in and hold up the child and say, this one is our salvation, and declare it for people to hear? This is who he is. This is why he came. You and I know there's no other salvation to proclaim but this one, right? So are you a Simeon? Are you that kind of a person? Now, we say the Christmas season is over. Now, we just made it through the sermon series, okay? But what do you do now? Pack it up in a box and put it in the attic? Or live it? Proclaim it? Take it to the people who need to hear it. They may be in the town. They, they may be in a temple. They may be somewhere in, in a courtroom. But they need to hear the message, right? Guess what you know? You know everything Simeon knew, don't you? Don't you know him as your peace? Don't you know him as your salvation? Hold him up before somebody and tell him so. Be it Simeon. Heavenly Father, thank you for this man. And the moment he stepped into the pages of our word and spoke so clearly of Christ at a moment that it needed to be to have been said. Lord, we, we live in a world today where we hesitate to say anything for fear of the response of the world around us. But it's that very world that needs to hear it. I pray perhaps, Lord, you might impress upon us the need to be Simeons too. Teach us, Lord, how wonderful, not only is your grace and love, but how powerful it is. How it, that is the power that changes lives. May we be part of that in just opening our mouth. Give us the boldness that we read of here today. But most of all, Lord, keep us close to you. That we walk by your Spirit, that we respond to your Spirit, that we follow and obey. That your name might be glorified in our midst, and that people will see a difference. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, our Savior, for giving us uh, our salvation and our peace. Lord, if there might be one among us or more who have never known Christ as Savior, may they realize even at this moment, at this time, they could call out to Him. For everyone who calls upon Him, the name of the Lord will be saved. That is why Christ has come, and I pray that you might draw hearts to yourself. Show again how great your grace is. For the rest of us, Lord, we have another year ahead of us that we can walk by your Spirit and proclaim the Lord truth. Give us the boldness to do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.